Hello everyone, welcome to the sixth episode of With You In Mind. My name is Lisa Upton and I'm joined by my co-pilot Sarah Bullock-Chase. We are the co-founders of Brain Buddy and together we're going to be your podcast hosts. But before we get started and introduce you to our special guest today, we would like to firstly give a big shout out to our sponsors, the National Brain Appeal. They're the supporting charity for the National Hospital of Neurology and Neurosurgery and also the sponsors of our podcast with you in mind. What they do is absolutely brilliant and you can check it out at www.nationalbrainappeal.org. So let's cue that jingle and get this episode started. Today we are joined by a very special guest, Teresa Dornsey, CEO of the National Brain Appeal. Teresa has more than 30 years experience in the charity sector and has been CEO of the National Brain Appeal since 2005. For those of you who haven't heard of the National Brain Appeal, the charity is dedicated to raising vital funds for the National Hospital of Neurology and Neurosurgery, working closely with the hospital's clinical and research staff. Teresa has led the charity to fundraise for many projects, including the UK's first centre for neuromuscular diseases, the UK's first brain tumour unit, and the UK's first interventional MRI operating theatre for neurosurgery use, enabling real-time scanning of the brain and spine during surgery to enable greater accuracy and safer surgery. Well, thank you, Teresa, for being here. Welcome. So, Teresa, listen, it's great to, uh, well, I was going to say have you here, but we don't have you here. We've got you by screen, but it's great that... (laughs) Sarah and I are together and and you're there. (laughs) And it's great to be in the building. So, yeah, welcome. How, How are you? I'm fine, busy as ever, but um, all good. So can't complain really. Yeah, some days drawing in, aren't they? So that's a bit strange. It feels like winter is here. Uh, um, yeah, all good. Good. Heard in the intro that you've been CEO now for uh, goodness me, I don't know whether my maths is going to be right in this equation, but nearly eighteen years. Is that right? That is right. Yeah, wow. fast approaching. First of January is my anniversary. That's a long time, Teresa, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but time flies. We know a little bit about why you got involved with the charity, um, but obviously the listeners don't. So can you just take us back to, you know, your journey of becoming involved and eventually becoming CEO of the charity and, and the why, I suppose, is the really important part of that? Yeah, so I've always worked in the charity sector. I thought it was... Um, the, the sector I wanted to work in um, and I started volunteering in a charity when I was doing my degree um, and then basically what happened is that my husband was diagnosed with a brain tumour and it, it sort of turned out I wanted to do something for the hospital that he was treated at which was the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery um, and I kind of looked to see if there were any volunteering opportunities and I hadn't found anything um, and then it was all kind of by chance that there was a day when I was looking on a, a recruitment website because they were um, letting charities put free volunteering opportunities on there. Yeah. And we had some at the charity I was working for. So I had just gone on to put on this, this job that we had um, for the legacy promotion campaign where I worked at the time. And the, the job of the week was the CEO of the National Brain Appeal. Um, it had a different name back then, but effectively the National Brain Appeal. And so it all just felt like, you know, the deadline was the next day. 
and it felt like it had to be really so I just put in an application and the rest of history as they say so yeah that was um that was kind of how it came about and obviously the why was because I wanted to do something for the hospital um that had looked after my husband so well and um you know he he did pass away a few years ago now 11 years in fact but he had a you know very long I mean he was di- he was his diagnosis his prognosis sorry his prognosis was um for two years and he survived eight years um and he was very well for most of that time so I kind of felt blessed in a way that we came to the right place and he had such good care um so yeah very long answer for a, a short question but no, it's great to get the background. I think it's really important, isn't it? The why, and often when we speak to people, yeah, mm. the why just gives more context. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it obviously means that that's what keeps you motivated as well. Um, that's you know, I came here because I really strong. As with all the charities I worked for, I, I worked for them because I was committed to those causes, and that's what keeps you sort of coming back every day. Um, but with the National Brain Appeal, it's particularly interesting because there's so many different projects and it's changing all the time. So I don't feel as if, um, you know, I'm doing the same job all the time. It's not um same services every year, different neurological conditions, different consultants, different supporters, different stories. So it's always fresh. So when we talk about the 18 years, it really doesn't feel like 18 years at all. Um, yeah. Wow. So obviously the National, you know, it really does have a special place in your heart, really, and for so many others as well. And so obviously you shared, you know, what it is that brought you here, you know, to the National. But are there any other aspects that make it so special? Um, In terms of the charity or the hospital? um, Yeah. So... I mean, the, but I mean, I think with the National Hospital, what we hear time and time again, and actually from because we also support the Institute of Neurology because we support research work. There's a lot of overlap between the two organisations, um, but we constantly hear from patients and families just about how caring um, the experience has been, um, and it doesn't. Often we hear it doesn't feel like other hospitals. Um, that's kind of the feedback you get, and I think that means we're, we're working with quite special people really so it's a it's quite a unique place and I suppose the same in terms of at the National Brain Appeal the charity is it got a great team everyone's really motivated work really hard very positive and we're dealing with really difficult subjects all the time but actually it's a very upbeat organization um and yeah and we all kind of keep each other going going along and then we have great supporters as well so there's always something new happening on both the project side, but also on the fundraising side, we'll have someone who's written a book or we'll have someone who's doing a trek or there'll be, you know, someone whose whole family are running a marathon or, you know, it could be anything. It's just always interesting um, and literally new things, if not every day, every week, you know, it's um, ever changing. Mm. Uh, Do you think that's something kind of representing as well? how actually when it comes to neurological conditions, there are so many and everyone's experiences are so different, so individual. And so then the creativity that comes with those people's stories, what drives them, their experiences, you know, adds to it maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think every, yeah, everyone has a very sort of different story. I mean, obviously with with people who have the same condition, they'll have the same kind of impact, but they're, I, th- I think they're so diverse, really, um, in terms of, I think sometimes people think of neurological conditions as something that affects the elderly, um, and they just think of stroke, or they think of Parkinson's, but also 
cases occur only in the elderly. Um, not that that means it's any less impactful, but they're surprised when they find out that people of all ages can be affected. And then there's all these other conditions that affect all sorts of people and a complete shock to everyone um, and throws you know people's lives upside down and change. So people, again, I think are trying to find different ways of getting through um, life, of coping with their um, treatment, diagnosis, prognosis, all of the kind of things that go along with it. Um, and again, that's you know very sort of motivational because you are dealing with so many different inspirational people. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's very very diverse. It's like no no, I, I suppose in everything there's no two people are the same. Mm. But I guess there are less similarities because of the wide range than if we were a, a hospital just dealing with one type of disorder. Um, but yeah, learn something. You literally learn something. Every time you speak to a new patient or a new um, clinician, you you learn something new that you never knew. Um, so yeah, not like I can remember any of it, but um, <laughs> it's all it's all very interesting at the time. Yeah, but I think that's similar as well, to isn't it? What Anna Mizarochi, the surgeon, was saying that diff- every day is different. You learn something as well. So it seems maybe mm. something universal here. Mm, absolutely. And just to talk about the charity a little bit, because we introed it at the start, but we definitely didn't do it justice in terms of what sort of things you guys support with. So can you tell us a little bit about that, Teresa, the wide varying conditions and things? Of course. So we do support a a massive range of projects, really, um, considering we're, you know, a relatively small charity. So um, we at the moment have two big capital appeals that are going on that are both about £7 million each. One is to create a neuroscience centre um, that will be a kind of, it will have one of the most, it, um, there'll be all sorts of things going going on there, but I think it's particularly exciting because it will bring research and um, clinical care really close together. So um, people going there for outpatient facilities should be getting the opportunity to take part in research in a much um, much more frequently than they ever would normally, just because of having the kind of right space and the right um, staff available to make that happen. So that's one element of that project. Um, and then we have another capital project called um, where we're creating the first um, Reds Mentor Support Centre. Um, and that's going to be, and we've been funding this sort of support service for a very long time. But this is a sort of the next step, really. So providing a hub for all the people who have um, unusual dementias, if you like, or ones that are quite often early onset. Um, so young people who might have families or care people who are dependent on them, um, still in the middle of their working careers, etc. And it's a support service, but there's also research going on there um, and education. So that's another one of the big projects. But we also have two programmes of, of funding. Um, so one of them, which we're celebrating the 10 year anniversary for tomorrow, in fact, so um, it's it's 10 this year, um, where um, it's called Small Acorns Fund. And the, in fact, you know well, because I think yeah, you yeah. might have had a grant from it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it basically supports some um, sort of small ideas that make a big difference. So they can be um, projects that are 500 pounds up to sort of 5,000 pounds. And there is a massive range of them. So we've supported 100. Well, in fact, we've just added a few more in our latest rounds. So it's over 150 projects now that we've supported. And they um, give frontline staff predominantly and researchers the chance to kind of try out a new idea where it would be quite difficult for them to unlock that kind of funding normally. And quite often those things turn into something bigger 
or open the door to the next stage of a project. So um, we get really positive feedback about those projects and they're incredibly diverse. Um, and then the other one, which is kind of the next step up, is the Innovation Fund, where we give one or two grants a year um, to projects that are between 50 and 150,000 pounds, which are usually slightly bigger research projects, which again are kind of innovative and perhaps a bit more challenging to attract funding to because they've got to prove themselves. So we're quite often funding a kind of proof of concept stage. And then that can unlock, you know, again, the sort of multi-million pound grants later on, hopefully. Um, so we can kind of help that happen um, and things would just sort of take a long time to get going without that kind of funding. So those are the kind of three main sort of areas of small acorns, innovation fund and then the capital projects. And then we occasionally have some odd ones that come along as well that we support here and there, but that's the main sort of strand of our kind of support. And how far has that come since like you started out at the charity 18 years ago? So I'm imagining you weren't funding things like that 18 years ago. So when the charity, the charity is nearly 40 years old now. So actually I've been there nearly half of its life, which is kind of <laughs> horrifying in some ways. Um, so when it, when it started at the beginning, it was for a capital project. Um, it was to raise money to sort of refit the neurorehabilitation sort of area. Um, but I think they had a £5 million target and it was 10 years to fundraise for it. So that's the kind of difference in how long it sort of took. Um, and when I joined... They actually didn't have any any projects live at that time. I came in and there was kind of one project that was just sort of being looked at. So that was, so basically all of the all of the kind of project funding has developed since I joined. It used to be um, an organisation that went from one project to the next, um, and that th that was what they did, and that was all very valuable and they contributed lots of things. But I think the difference now is that we have a bigger staff. Um, to be able to fundraise so we're able to deliver more projects and we have a bit more of a structure to how people can access the funds and also because obviously we're older more people know that we're here so they come to us and apply for the funding so yeah you know there's um there's sort of the benefit of a bit of age as well that's kind of <laughs> helped there but wow it really has then changed over that time I mean there's so much then in comparison to them before Wow. Yeah, I mean, it was it was literally tiny. It was um, when I, when I joined, it was me and one and a half person. Really? Yeah, so yeah. And just, how many is there of you now? Yeah. We've just we've just appointed another person today, so I think we're now at twenty one. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, so we're still quite small in the big scheme of things. We get um, everyone works very hard and, and does a lot, but. We have grown a lot, particularly in this past year or so, because we've now got such ambitious plans for the next few years. So we need more people to help us deliver it. I was going to say, would you like to share what your new, you know, plans for the future are? Or yeah, yeah. So we've just um, launched our new strategy this year. So we've got five-year strategy. So um, our goal, ultimately, actually, by the end of ten years, is to have funded a hundred million pounds worth of projects. Um, so quite a, a big goal and that will include those two capital projects that I talked about before um, so it's just a big step change really in terms of the amount we want to raise each year the amount of projects we want to fund the impact we want to have we want to be able to demonstrate that impact more effectively um, and you know we want to be able to um, make more people aware of the kind of neurological um, need really if you like I think one of the main barriers is that people don't realize that one in six people are affected by neurological conditions mm -hmm. so 
um, there's a you know a big hill to climb there with that kind of education. Um, and to do that, I think we will need to collaborate with lots of other organisations to make that happen because we are too small to do that on our own. We wouldn't have the kind of um, money you need really to to run those kind of promotional campaigns. Um, but it's really important that people realise that they will know so many people who are affected and that we need to do more to move the science forward because it hasn't had the investment that other areas have had in this in the past sort of 20 30 years what do you think it is though or do you think that there's something about the focus within you know neurological conditions that differs to have awareness money research investment to other conditions uh yes yeah, an interesting question i think there's a couple of things I think at play. So I think there's some, there's a bit of kind of lack of awareness means there's lack of investment, which means there's lack of development, which means you don't get those stories that then encourage more people to support. So it's a bit of a kind of cycle um, on, on that front. And then you have other conditions that have been obviously in the limelight, if you like, if it is a limelight ever to be a condition, if you're a medical condition, um, but have been fundraising for a very long time and there's been quite a lot of progress. So people know of those much more um, and they can sort of see that there have been step changes. Um, I mean, even if you look at, say, cancer, sort of generally, obviously in some cancers, there hasn't been as much progress, especially in, in brain tumours. But if you look at lots of the others, some of them, I think there's still a perception that actually nothing much has changed but actually quite a, quite a few changes have come in for quite a few cancers in recent times so survivals are much better if you look at things like say childhood leukemia back in the sort of 80s um it was a it was i can't remember exactly what the statistic is but it was something like 90 percent of children with leukemia would die and now it's completely reversed so it's 90 percent will survive um, and that's purely through investment in research into one type of cancer so it's, you know, my statistics are probably, they're not exact, but it is that kind of um, revolution, really. Um, and again, where I worked, um, the charity before the charity um, that when I came here was what's now known as Breast Cancer Now. Um, and again, when I was there, it was a very small organisation. We were just starting out and it was, it was something people really didn't talk about. Um, and if you think about Breast Cancer Now, it's completely sort of a common thing for people to talk about, to fundraise for, but back then it was um it was still a bit taboo, a bit uncomfortable. There wasn't much investment, survival rates were not good. It's really moved on significantly in, in that sort of time. So so that's what I, I think can happen for neurological conditions. And it will be at a different pace for different conditions, depending on if you like how popular they are to a certain extent, but also um, you know, who the specialists are and what the good ideas are that people are investing in so we're doing our bit by trying to invest in the unusual ideas sometimes or the things that other people might not support initially to try and help move the field on and attract that funding that I was talking about before from the big players um, and then that's when you start really seeing movement. Um, so you talked about some of the challenges there a little bit but what would you say the biggest challenges are that you face as a charity going forward? So, I mean, I think there are more opportunities than challenges, I would like okay. to think. So I think, you know, the fact that that so few people do know about neurological conditions at the moment and so little fundraising is happening for them, if you like, gives all charities in this sort of space um, the chance to do more, I think, and to sort of 
bring more people on board. But the challenge right now, of course, is kind of cost of living crisis and whether or not people will continue to support charities in the way that they have in the past. There's no, you know, there are indicators that some people probably are reducing their their kind of support or they're refining their support for different organisations, but we don't know how that's going to play out, really. Uh, it might be that other people step into that breach and it's not as bad as people think it might be, but that, I suppose, is the biggest concern for all charities right now, not for us, just on our own. It's like you want to be able to deliver the plans you've got and will we be able to raise the money we need to be able to make that happen. What do you feel it is that's at the bedrock of this charity and what are the values that it's built on? I mean, I think one of the, obviously one of the key things that we are passionate about is the kind of innovation element of what we support. Um, so it's new ideas, it's not things that the NHS would be funding already, it's not research that is already happening. We like the new and the interesting. Um, and in terms of values, I think it's it's quite, you know, it's one that's talked of um, a lot at the moment, but I think it is important. Is I think it's, it's kindness, really. So it's um, making sure that we always are operating from that perspective of looking out, out for each other, but really thinking about the people who are supporting us and what their lives are like and what they might be going through and the pressures of the people that we're supporting as well. So it's very easy sometimes to get frustrated if you're not getting the information you might want from someone who's leading a project. But, you know, you have to remember they're trying to also quite often run clinics and see patients. And, you know, they they everyone is running on, you know, short amounts of time with limited resources. So I think that's probably the most important value that we would say sort of underpins our work. Um, and as I said, in, innovation is what we're striving for and what kind of keeps us um, motivated. Mm. I mean, Sarah and I have obviously witnessed it firsthand. <laughs> we we volunteered yeah. our time, didn't we, after after surgery? So it mm. certainly has a special place in our hearts. Um, it's such a lovely charity. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And going back to what you said about mm. Queen Square, the hospital, and the charity, it certainly does have that family feel. And that I don't know, as I walked across the square today, like my heart was just a little bit just had a really fluffy feeling inside it so it feels like home to me I don't know about you Sarah Aww. but I get yeah. what you mean it's that um well there's memories mm. but I know that differs for many people some people have a yeah. different reaction as well because everyone's experiences are different but yes there is that kind of hmm it means something mm. real change yeah and as a result um, of the charity funding you know innovation allows then you know different treatments to develop and things to progress yeah I mean there's all as I said there's it's, it's an interesting mixture because in some ways the hospital for anyone who doesn't know it is a very traditional kind of Victorian mm. building and it's kind of feels quite unusual it's not a modern block and it's but it's it is a sort of quite a friendly space and obviously there's all sorts of terrible things and tragedies but also um a lot of care and a lot of love and a lot of support that that carry that is happening within those walls um and uh, again i mean i think sometimes as you're just saying it sometimes the patients have one feeling about the place and some of them mm. feel either i don't i don't want to be back there or they feel very warmly towards it depending on what's happened but often it's their families who um, and the people we speak to as well who just might have been with someone who 
really was say unconscious for several weeks or even months and um, hasn't really got a very strong awareness of the hospital almost but they lived and breathed it for ages and they so they often talk about what the experience was like for them and feeling like they were looked after or um, that they were welcome and and they it was a good place to go so yeah it's um, unusual because it is you know such serious conditions that are, are coming in and out of the doors for it to, to say it's a kind of warm friendly place sounds a bit strange doesn't it but mm, I do think that true. is the case it is it really is so look for people that don't know about the charity and maybe hearing it for the first time how can they get in touch with you what's the best way mm. for them to do that uh, I guess the best way for people to get in touch is the is good old website that's always a good place to start which is nationalbrainappeal.org and that's got loads of information on there about what we support but also how people can get involved and what they can do um and so i'd i'd recommend that and obviously um otherwise they can call us i can't remember what our phone number is now off the top of my head so i can't tell you that um but it's on the website, <laughs> it's on the website so hopefully everyone can get on the website um and I, but I think there's lots of I mean there's all sorts of ways that people get involved with us. There's from making regular donations to supporting us through their company, through throwing themselves out of airplanes, or you know taking part in fun runs, or all sorts of things. Um, so there'll be there is kind of something for everyone. And then also there's obviously the non-financial ways as well. So we you know we do need volunteers who can give up a few hours to maybe be on an information stall or be in the office helping out the team um and we do need sometimes things that we can include in our raffles or as prizes or so there are sometimes things that people can donate in that way as well if they aren't able to support financially um everyone has a different uh, you know different things that they want to get out of being involved with the charity as well so you know we try and work with everyone individually the the other thing we have that's quite a fun um, event that's also been going for it'll be ten years next year is our a letter in mind art exhibition, which is um, going from strength to strength every year, um, and that's where people um, create an artwork on an envelope, um, and then we sell them at a fixed price of eighty five pounds, regardless of who has um, painted them, so that people buy them anonymously. The idea being you're buying it because it's an artwork you like rather than because it's created by someone whose name you know. Um, and, you know, we we have an exhibition, but all the artworks are online. So wherever people are, they can see the artwork. So, again, if people look on our website, they'll be able to see what artworks we have. And, it's a, again, that's a really nice way to sort of link up with what we're doing and, and see some interesting artwork as well at the same time. So. Yeah. It's lovely, actually, the amount of creativity, actually, that's um, encouraged within the charity. You know, you're saying these different events, different things to do. And actually, you know, it's very mm. creative, stimulating. Different. Mm. Well, that's nice to hear. I mean, the, the team are great. So they've always got good ideas. We've always got really sort of interesting things happening. But also a lot of it comes from our supporters. So quite a few things are ideas that people have brought to us and then they they tried them themselves and raise money which is which is brilliant the other very exciting announcement which is literally hot off the press because it was just announced yesterday is that we have a chelsea garden next year the national brain appeal will be um having a garden um created by a, a gardener called um charlie hawks who won gold last year um and it's called a rare space and it's um highlighting a garden that is um focusing on rare dementias so again that's something for people to look out for there'll be lots of information about it in the press and anyone who 
is coming along to Chelsea can come and find us and, and have a look and a chat. So um, that would be good to see people there as well. Mm. Wow. Sounds amazing. All exciting stuff, isn't it? Yeah. 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 No, all good. All good. Mm. Uh, well, listen, Teresa, it's been so good to chat to you. Um, and hopefully we'll see you next time we're, we're here down in London. <laughs> that would be good. Yeah. But we really appreciate taking yeah. the time today. Yeah, it's very you. kind of you. And I think the listeners will get a lot from all of what you've said. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks for all your support and all that you do with Brain Body as well. Oh, bless you, Teresa. That was brilliant. Sarah and I really, really enjoyed that chat. Thank you for sharing all that you did about the National Brain Appeal. It's so wonderful to hear. Join us next time when we will be joined by another guest and patient of the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery. If you would like to keep up to date on all of our events and podcasts, then as a reminder, please follow us on our social media platforms and also check out our website, which is www.brainbuddy.co.uk. Take care, everyone. Until next time, stay safe.